When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and now it's time for the Jack Riccardi Show. And for folks that don't know, Christian is, you know, still kind of new to our station and our area. And remember I told you that February, Christian, is our craziest month for weather. And I remember thinking, my goodness, I hope Jack Riccardi's correct. I Well, you know, and you, you it doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like it would be the extreme month. But mm-hmm. my phone reminded me this morning that two years ago was when we had the several inches of snow. Yeah, yeah. Two years ago to the day. Yeah. And now look at this. Two years ago today, I was gazing at a frozen lake of the Ozarks, Missouri. So I remember exactly. Now, I remember being blown away by what Texas was going through. I feel like we actually rescued you. The way you talk about the Lake of the Ozarks, it sounds like... <laughs> right. It, it, it sounds like it maybe wasn't the high point of your, of your life. No. Have you seen the TV yeah. show Ozark? I have. Well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Then. Well, I'm glad you're here. And, and anyway, uh, it is, it's a crazy month. Uh, well, good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show. And let me just officially say, and I don't know if you're with me on this or not. Let me just officially say, I am over, I'm over the balloons. I'm over the balloon story. I'm over the whole thing. I, I the whole thing has, has just deteriorated into a farce. Maybe it was one all along, but you know, as you think about it, they're now saying that maybe, maybe after, a week of hype and and weekend press briefings and um you just heard some senator saying we really need an address from the president of the united states like does she remember who the president of the united states is like a speech from him would just bring clarity but after a week of this now they're saying you know these might just have been um not spy balloons but just balloons so they're they're toying with us they're playing with us. They're basically saying we shot down three things, but we don't know who launched them. <laughs> we don't know what they were. We don't know why they were there. And as you heard Jed Babin say yesterday, maybe they do know and they're pretending they don't. But the whole thing is like uh, we're being played. We're being played. I, I can't say I know exactly why we're being played, but we're being played. By the way, I'm not saying that China is not a threat. I'm not saying that China would not love to surveil and intercept and enter our airspace, and maybe they did. I, I'm not I'm not saying I know more about this than anybody else. I'm saying I've had it. I've had it with the balloons. All ballooned out. Now, maybe, maybe there's a rationale to this. Have you noticed... That while we're all uh, looking up at the sky, there is a major apocalyptic environmental disaster happening in Ohio. We had that train derailment, the Norfolk Southern train that was carrying vinyl chloride. And they had a derailment in a town called Palestine, 
Ohio, which is near the Pennsylvania border. Hundreds of thousands of tons of, of, of stuff uh, was r- released. And um, this, first the train had an emergency of some sort, which is all very shadowy and fishy. We're not too sure what's going on with that. So first the train declared an emergency. They did an emergency braking, which caused the train to derail. That's being investigated, we're told. And th- then we had all of this um, environmental chaos. Okay, The town itself is fairly small. It's about 5,000 people. Um, they were told to evacuate. First of all, that should have then been the lead story all day, every day. And you know if it had happened near a New York or a Los Angeles or a Chicago or a Washington, D.C., it would have been, right? And then they apparently mismanaged it. We're going to get into the details of this. But they apparently mismanaged it to the point where they made a bad situation worse. And this stuff is now up in the atmosphere, and it's floating over parts of Ohio and Pennsylvania, and there's all these dead fish and dead wildlife. And um, have you noticed, by the way, through all of this, no Al Gore, no Greta. Where are the, um, where's, where's the World Wildlife Federation or fund or whatever the hell it's called? Where? Where, where, where are those people? Where are the Save the Animals people? Where are the Save the Oceans people? This is basically acid rain. Where's the acid rain crowd? I haven't heard from them in a long time. Remember, they were you couldn't shut them up. We also never heard anything from them when the Nord Stream pipeline blew up and hundreds of thousands of tons of that went into the ocean. And, and you know, it's starting to look like we did that. But it's very interesting to me that you could have basically an industrial disaster. This is, by the way, the worst spill of this chemical in history. We'd probably be covering it more if it was happening in another country. You know, like, oh, look at those poor people. Let's, let's, you know, let's do a hashtag fundraiser. But, but what are we doing? We're, we're having balloons. And it just makes me think that maybe one of these things is a distraction from the other thing. It makes me wonder if we're being managed and played pretty badly. And who is the Secretary of Transportation while all this is going on? Is it somebody that uh, has extensive experience with, say, rail issues or trucking or the transportation of hazardous materials. No, it's Pete Buttigieg, whose main um, hobby is himself and who is only Secretary of Transportation because the Democratic Party is grooming him for a future presidential run. And we were talking about how important it is to have first. It's very important that Pete Buttigieg be the first man who has breastfed to become president. And he... Finally, he, he hasn't come out and actually done a statement about Ohio, but he had, he did crack a joke about the balloons the other day in a speech he was giving. So that, that, this is where we're at. And I want to get your thoughts on it. 
599-5555. You can't have a gas stove. You can't have a gasoline-powered automobile. You can't do any one of 50 other things that you routinely and innocently do every day of your life just to, just to live, just to get by. You can't have anything. But the people that are so worried about the planet, the people that tell us we only have eight years left or 12 years left or whatever it is this week, not a word about Ohio, not a word about the Nord Stream pipeline. There's a lot of weird-ish going on in the world right now, isn't there? 210-599-5555. Last night, we had a tragic shooting at Michigan State University. A uh, 43-year-old man named Anthony McRae went into uh, the campus in Lansing, uh, wound up killing three people, injuring five people. They don't think all five of them are going to make it, so that death, death toll may may go up. And um, they did a, an intensive manhunt, and they found him due to a tip, and he took his own life. And Michigan has a Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, and... Um, now, after the midterms, they have a Democratic legislature. And they're making a lot of noises that you would expect today. Obviously, everyone is praying for the students and the community and the victims, and I'm thinking about them too. But they're making a lot of noise about we need to have a ban on long guns. We need to have a ban on assault weapons. Um, we need background checks. But do you know who Anthony McRae is? And this is infuriating to me. This is infuriating to me. Anthony McRae is, and you've heard these words so many times before, a guy who was on their radar. He, he, he's not a student at Michigan State. He wasn't connected with Michigan State, but he was known to authorities. In 2019, he was arrested and charged with carrying a concealed weapon without a permit and other felony and misdemeanor charges. He pled guilty to the misdemeanor, so they dismissed the felony. And because they dismissed the felony, he didn't do any prison time. He just did probation. And his probation was over in the summer of 2021. But more recently, neighbors have heard him firing guns inside his house, and more than once the cops have been called. One neighbor called him a hellraiser. So that's who did this. Why is the politician's first impulse to come after law-abiding gun owners when they failed, they blew it with a law-breaking gun owner? Why, when they couldn't manage one low-level criminal, do they have to come after and try to criminalize the activities and lifestyles of millions of other people? Guns aren't new. Guns aren't more ubiquitous than they have been in the past. We had them. We didn't have all these shootings before. You know it and I know it and they know it. People have said on this show many times, callers have pointed out after there's been a school shooting. You know, I remember when you used to take guns to school and it's true. The problem they're not talking about, and this is what makes me furious, we seem to have more and more soulless, selfish, sick, isolated animals acting out 
sacrificing innocence. And they're always on the list. They're always on the radar. They always were, were known to authorities. What the hell good is it to be known to authorities? What, why are we talking so much about red flags and warning signs and connecting the dots when the people that are supposed to connect the dots don't do it? And the truth is we don't need another law because what we have is depravity, and depravity is a moral, not legal, challenge. And so somewhere in Michigan, or wherever these students are from, some parent is finding out his child is dead. And the politicians have failed him or her, but now they're going to come after him or her for their rights. Because it's just easier to take our rights than it is to have answers to this. Oh, and one other thing. The shooter is black. So this has to be a gun problem. If he was white, this would be a white supremacy, uh, Trump era of hatred problem. We need to have a national discussion. But we're just going to forget about him because it's a gun problem. I mean, you know, you know how this works, right? I mean, it's like if there was a set of rules, we would all have them memorized. And think about this for a minute. It's pretty clever because the balloon story gives Biden-hating people a chance to rail about the incompetence and fecklessness of this administration. And it gives Biden lovers a chance to, you know, play out their fantasy that he's FDR, he's a wartime president, he's defending the country, you know. So it, it's, it kind of works for all players, right, all comers. Meanwhile, we had the Seymour Hersh story where he's a very well-respected investigative journalist who has gotten a lot of things before anybody else got them, says he, he is pretty sure that the U.S. blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. And, in fact, when you look at the comments from President Biden and some of his cabinet people about how the Nord Stream is not going forward, it will not happen. If if uh, Putin goes into Ukraine, there will be no Nord Stream pipeline. Then the thing blows up. That is credible to me. I'm not saying I know he's right, but that's credible to me. And then we have this Ohio story. Have you seen any of the footage? Have you seen any of the video or pictures? This is a little town in Ohio. Very small town, but the but the real road runs through it it looks like the apocalypse it looks dystopian and it's interesting to me that other things have squeezed it out of the headlines i'm not saying it doesn't get any coverage i know it's been on the news but let's face it it's not the central story it's not the top story it's not it's not on everybody's mind we're not clamoring for answers And it's interesting to me that it's an environmental disaster because you would think that these people would be loving an environmental disaster. But they're not talking about it. We're talking about Chinese spy balloons. And it also looks like this thing was mishandled. So if it was an accident, that's one thing. But then it looks like they made a decision they decided they would burn off the vinyl chloride. Vinyl chloride is, is um, I guess, volatile when it gets above a certain temperature. So they were just going to burn it off, blow it up. And if you've seen the pictures, it looks like a like the Hiroshima mushroom cloud over a town in Ohio. I would think that would be a pretty big story. And that turned out to be a mistake. 
because the controlled burn and uncontrolled explosion has spread clouds of this stuff all over the place. And it probably will be year, probably years from now, you'll be watching television and there'll be lawyers on running ads like there are for Camp Lejeune water and mesothelioma. There'll probably be like the Palestine lawsuits five years from now. And where are the people that have made a, a living off of telling us that the earth is coming to an end and we only have eight years and where's Greta? Guess she can't find Ohio. 210-599-5555. And we've been talking about the uh, Michigan State story. The reports, the early reports were that the guy had a handgun. So you have a guy who was already known to authorities, who was given a slap on the wrist in a state that is supposedly very serious about gun laws. And then he comes back and he kills people with his handgun that you previously had caught him carrying in an illegal fashion. And I'm supposed to uh, acquiesce to um, infringements on my rights? You literally failed in every way you possibly could. It's kind of the theme, right? I mean, if you look at the, the, the China story, the Ohio story, the Michigan State story, the common denominator is politicians suck at their job they fail because the there's a difference between what they want to do and what we need to do we used to do in this country what we needed to do to have a a basic ordered society and now we have a bunch of people in office that are doing what they want to do they're living in a world where the sky is not blue it's purple or something and and it's and, and and so they're they're inventing their own reality. They even talk about it that way. I need to speak about my reality, right? So there's not two genders. There's an unlimited number of them, and, and um, they're reinventing history. They're not very well versed in the actual history, but when you can make it up, anybody can be a historian, right? And then, as they fail in basic things like law and order infrastructure that works if they come at us it's always our fault you know what we have with the politicians these days i hate to bring this up on valentine's day but, but it's basically we have a toxic relationship you know you see on on these daytime tv shows like dr phil and stuff these 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 marriages or these relationships where um the the person is projecting onto their partner. Our politicians are projecting onto us. Everything that's wrong is our fault, our shortcomings. We didn't give them enough power. We're not paying enough taxes. We're too white. We're too male. And and of course, there's nothing we can do in this world of theirs. In this in this new religion of wokeness, there's no redemption, right? So if the problem is that we're too white, there's nothing we can do about that. You can't give them penance or do it. And it's just, uh, you know, to me, we're being um, distracted by a lot of stuff. And and look, I, I'm not one of those people who thinks you should never have a good time or watch a football game or enjoy movies and entertainment. We talk about a lot of pop culture stuff on the show because we're real people and this is a show for real people. It's not a, it's not a show for for policy wonks or, you know, fanatics, but 
But I do think once in a while you have to step back, look at the big picture, and go, you know, something is not right here. The framing is starting to show. The it's like it's like those bloopers in a movie, you know, where they make a mistake and the microphone shows, or you can see a camera, or you can see the 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 background of a prop or something. It's kind of how the news looks to me this week. Like they've made a mistake, and we're starting to see the stuff we're not supposed to see. I think we talked about this uh, a little bit yesterday on the show. There's a restaurant in New Jersey that announced uh, a ban on children under the age of 10. They said they did it with regret. We love kids. We really, truly do, said Nettie's House of Spaghetti. But lately, uh, it's been challenging to accommodate children at Nettie's. They cited noise levels, uh, messes, the liability of children running around the restaurant, a danger to the servers and to other customers. Uh, there have been incidents where the kids have run into people. Uh, they say they didn't come to the decision lightly. So as of uh, next month, they will no longer allow children under 10 in the restaurant. And people went crazy denouncing this, and they're, they're so mean, and what, what have you. I'm not sure if it's the right thing to do, but I do think I know why they're doing it. And, and, and I mean, let's be honest, it's really not about kids. It's about adults. See, when little kids are acting the way they're describing in their policy, that's an adult problem. I mean, you have to raise kids to sit still, stay at the table, mind their manners. You can do it. We know this because you and I were raised this way. You and I come from an era where there wasn't a play area at a restaurant. They didn't bring toys to the table. There probably weren't even crayons. You didn't ask if you could use your parents' phone because there wasn't such a thing. You didn't have a video game you could hold in your hand. You just sat at the table. You might finish eating before the adults did, or maybe they lingered over coffee and dessert, and you were bored out of your mind, but you thought to yourself, hey, at least I'm at a restaurant. Let me just shut up. I'm part of adult world here. <laughs> you know, Let me just not screw this up. And I, it, it, it isn't, I'm not talking about some sort of high level parenting, like, you know, some, where you'd write a book about it or something. We knew what to do because it was expected of us. When people ask, do kids have it easier today or did we have it easier? I always think we did because we had, our expectations were set. We knew what we had to do and either we did it or we didn't. These kids today, if, they, if they're if they're running around in a restaurant, honestly, that's because no one's told them otherwise. No one's correcting them. Have you ever been at one of these places where some kid is just raging or just rampaging, and the adults with whom that kid came in are pretending they don't notice? I was at a place where the, the kid was standing on the table, standing on the table, and these two were just talking. And they were clearly, and it was a struggle, but they were determined to pretend that they didn't notice that was happening. I guess they read in a book or on some Fakakta website that if you ignore them, you'll starve them of attention and they'll sit down and be quiet. But actually, all the kid did was just get more and more crazy and outrageous. And I thought afterwards with some sadness, they'll probably take this kid somewhere and get him on medication. But really, all he needed was the same expectations we had. I mean, I know it was a different time. Like, we didn't go out to eat very much in my family. My parents very, very seldom took us out to eat. 
And when we did, it was always this Chinese restaurant near our house. In fact, when I was a little kid, I thought all restaurants were Chinese restaurants because that was the only one we ever went to. But um, it was kind of exciting. You know, we we felt very grown up, and um, so we didn't want to foul it up. And we just managed to sit there and eat what was put in front of us and look around and, um, you know, enjoy it. And, and by the way, because we did that, our parents didn't have to put on an act or pretend they were having a good time like this couple I watched. They really were having a good time. And you know what else used to happen? And I'm not saying this to brag or anything, but sometimes people would stop by the table and compliment my mom or my dad because there were four of us, four little kids. And they'd say, your, your, your children are, are very nice, they're very well behaved, you have, a, you have a lovely family. And, and I could tell my dad was so proud. He was not a guy that boasted, but I could tell silently that that just was very, very satisfying to him. Wouldn't that be a good feeling to have? Wouldn't that be the best feeling to have? So I would imagine that this restaurant is probably just dealing with what a lot of restaurants deal with. I mean, you see it. You know what I'm talking about. And they just decided to draw the line. You know what will probably happen? They'll probably get a lot of blowback. And at some point, they'll probably reverse the policy. And maybe they know they're going to do that. But at least they got the attention of everybody. And if people can just sort of not get butthurt about it, there's actually kind of a basic point here. Years and years ago, um, I knew someone that was involved with the Big Brothers Big Sisters organization. And they had a slogan they used in one of their cities. You know what Big Brothers and Big Sisters is, right? It's a mentoring thing. So children that don't have uh, maybe a, a, a lot of time with the one parent they have or a boy that's really missing out on having a father, they match him up with a, an older adult. And it can be a man, it can be a woman, and you spend a little time with the kid, and you take him places, and you expand his, his or her horizons a little bit. Anyway, um, they had this slogan they used, and it was, raise your children so other people will love them. And what I thought that meant, and I think I'm right, is that if a child is able to control him or herself, I'm not talking about, we don't want them to be, you know, Wednesday Adams. Just if they, if they know how to act and they know when to be seen and not heard and they know how to say please and thank you and sit still for a little while, not only does that make life easier in their family, but that makes life easier for people around them. And then people notice and appreciate it. And then you know what happens? Then you grow up to be a person with some impulse control and some consideration and courtesy for others. It's funny how that works. It's a very small thing. It doesn't mean that your whole objective in life is to get people to love your children. It just means that if you're doing it right, the world loves a well-behaved child. The world appreciates that basic thing. And that's what I think. I'd like to get your thoughts. I mean, I think that's what this restaurant is saying. You know, they say it in their announcement on their social media. We we love kids. We just can't have this. 
Uh, join the show at 210-599-5555. Uh, a New Jersey Italian restaurant called Nettie's House of Spaghetti uh, announcing on its socials that uh, starting next month, uh, children 10 and under are banned from the restaurant. They say they hate to do it, but kids running around uh, have been a danger to other patrons and to the staff. They've made messes, and it creates a high noise level in the restaurant. I don't think they're really... Um, this really isn't a policy about children. This is a policy about crappy parenting. Uh, Jim is on KTSA. Jim, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. Good afternoon. Kudos to the show, to you, and to your call screeners. That they're always doing a great job. Um, I wanted to say that I love that the restaurant put that up because, A, you got to protect your patrons that you provide them. You're working hard as a business owner to provide them an experience. You know, we don't need to go out and eat. We can eat at home. But when people go out, like when I go out, I'm looking for an experience for, you know, time to get away with maybe friends, family, my significant other, you know, whatever, to have a nice experience going out. And the last thing I want to happen is a bunch of knothead kids running around causing trouble and making a mess and making it harder on the servers, on the business owner, the other patrons. I hate that. So I'm glad that they said that because they're putting up and announcing what their expectations are. And Well, I agree that. with you, but I think they will get slaughtered in the court of public opinion because people like you and I will be fairly quiet about this, but there will be such a pearl-clutching, oh, my God, outrage. You're anti-child, and you hate, why do you hate children? And you know what? We don't, we don't hate children. We hate the way you're raising your children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel sorry for kids. When I see kids acting like this, I feel bad. I'm not mad at them. I feel bad for them because the world is going to be like a, like a, a steel door to the face one of these days. Somebody won't put up with their stuff anymore, and it will hurt. But the time to correct that is now, not to not to ignore the fact that your kid is standing on the table like like Tarzan, but to to correct Come it. On now. <laughs> That's right. That's Thank right. you, Jim. Appreciate appreciate your kind words. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I've never understood. You know, when I when when I became a dad, there were shelves and shelves of books about parenting. There were websites and blogs and message boards about parenting. You could take seminars. You could have uh, online. When my parents became parents, there might have been a couple of books, like Dr. Spock. When their parents became parents, there was nothing. Maybe the Bible had a few tips on parenting. But, I mean, it's funny how, like, the more sophisticated we make the training and the indoctrination of parenting, the worse it's getting. Just, just raise them so they are pleasant to be around. And everything else will fall into place. Teachers will appreciate it. Their peers will appreciate it. You know, the future employer will appreciate it. Other people at the restaurant will appreciate it. You might even get a few compliments, and you you will never be more proud. I mean, you can get compliments on your clothes. You can get compliments on your car. You can get compliments on your front yard. You'll never be more proud than when you get a compliment from somebody that says, hey, I just want to let you know you're, you have a really nice family or you have a beautiful family or your children are so uh, well-mannered. It's the best feeling. 
I wonder if we went wrong. I'm just spitballing here, but at some point, it seems like restaurants thought maybe the answer to this was like, you know, McDonald's started putting in those, those, um, you know, jumping pits and those crawl tunnels. You know, I'm like, like, uh, you know, in other words, we're going to just accept the kids won't stay at the table, so let's give them a place to play. I don't know. I mean, I, that can be cool, and I used to take my daughter to places like that, but um, at some point you just kind of have to learn, right? This is not all about you. And, you know, when you're when everybody's eating, it's fine. Then when the meal is over, and the kids usually finish before the adults, right, and the adults like to linger and talk, then that's the test. That's that's when you find out if kids can hack it or not. And I don't know. I mean, we just did because we didn't want to be left out. Uh, 210-599-5555. Tim is on the radio. Tim, good afternoon. Hi, Jack. How you doing? Love the show. Thank you, Tim. Um, just, just a thought, you know, it's... It, I think I believe you said it's the ten and under group being ten and under, from yeah. The restaurant, yeah. Well, I just thought maybe it, they should be more concerned with the eleven to maybe seventeen year olds that might misbehave more. I mean, I've well, I'm guessing. I'm men, guessing so the I've reason they made that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Say that again. Um, I have twins that are nineteen years old, so I, with my experience, you know, I'm seeing their friends. You know, you never know. I, I don't know why the why the age cutoff was ten. I'm guessing that's just what they saw. You know that they they must have figured that that seems to be where our problem is. But I mean, yeah, kids can 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 be brats at any age. But um, when they're really little, I, I don't think you can put that on them as much as you can just say nobody taught them, nobody corrected them. Absolutely. Next thing you know, they might have a sign like uh, "You have to be this tall to enter the restaurant." Like- I don't know. I don't know how they're gonna. Yeah, I don't know how they're gonna do the age restriction because the kids. I like the kids have an ID card that tells their age. All right, Tim. Thank you for joining the show. Appreciate it, sir. I I turned off the Super Bowl the minute the game was over, but so I didn't watch the. I'm not, I have no interest in the ceremony and the trophy and all that stuff. Right, but right. I, I guess there was a moment. People are talking about this today uh, when uh, Terry Bradshaw. Said, did you catch this? Fat shamed. Don't think so. Andy Reid. Yeah. So. Terry Bradshaw's on the platform for Fox, which I think was a mistake for Fox. Uh, but anyway, they, they, they've got him down there um, on the platform, on the field. The confetti's coming down, mm-hmm. and he's interviewing. And, and let me play this for you. This is uh, Terry Bradshaw and uh, Chiefs head coach Andy Reid, cut number four. Big guy. Let me get the big guy in here. Come on, waddle over here. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you're getting up in years now like me, and I'm just, I just know that it's got to be a time that where all these Super Bowls, you got to say to yourself, time to ride off into the sunset. That's not going to happen, is it? No. no. I'm going to enjoy this one right here. I'm going to okay. tell you, this is unbelievable. Uh, Philadelphia, you did a great job. It was a great game. But how about those cheese? That's what we're talking about. Have a cheeseburger on us and enjoy their Hawaiian shirts. I will. I will. That's right. Wow. What an what an a hole. I mean, in you just know, a few seconds, he, mm-hmm. he he makes fun of his body size. He tells him he's old and should retire. The guy just won the Super Bowl. And then and then tells him go get a cheeseburger? Yeah, could he, he not would, think of any jokes about his could he not think of any jokes about like his mom or something <laughs> while he was at it? He would have been fine with big guy. Because you can kind of 
you know, yeah, he's big head coach. Right. He was okay there. But yeah. I think maybe maybe Terry Bradshaw was upset because somebody won his million dollars. And you that think promotion, that's it? you know, win I feel Terry's like there might money. be something personal there. Like that felt that felt Do you like you think so? <laughs> that did not feel like the usual um post game. Usually it's pretty generic, right? But yeah, very but, vanilla, you know. How yeah. does it feel? Congratulations, great right. season. Terry was like jabbing and left hook and right hook. I mean, just I wonder if Bradshaw was kind of overexerting himself because maybe he feels like he's getting a little old. Yeah, well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But I don't know. I don't think you. I don't think you bring up that a guy ought to ride off into the sunset right after he. Uh... <laughs> really? I mean, this guy. I mean, Reed's thinking dynasty, right? Exactly. <laughs> Come on. Exactly. No, you're right, Terry. I should just hang it up now. I've got a. I've got a 25 year old quarterback that's incredible. Yeah, I need to get away from this game. I, you're. You're right. It's. It's over. It's. It's completely over. I'm Can getting I, out of here. I'm going to go. And can I get a large milkshake with that burger? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go get a cheeseburger. Yeah. All right. Have a cheeseburger Thanks, on Terry. <laughs> anyway, it uh, turns out that uh, Super Bowl 57 was the third most watched Super Bowl in history. Um, looking at all of the total audience for Fox and uh, streaming and everything else and digital. Um, the record holder is still the 2015 Patriots Seahawks uh, game. Uh, at 115 uh, million, and then Super Bowl 51, which was the uh, big comeback, uh, the Patriots' big comeback against Atlanta, that was 114 uh, million. This was about 113 million. So, 210-599-5555 in KTSA. We were talking about that uh, restaurant in New Jersey that's got the no kids policy, and what you think about that. Mark says. Jack at KTSA.com. I agree that some or other kids misbehave in public nowadays. Is it fair to punish the parents who do it right and make their kids behave? Ask those who misbehave to leave or put them on a list. Mark wants a bad kids list. That, yeah, that would be much less controversial. That's right. We've, uh, we've blacklisted your kid. Um, this was interesting to me. And I'm again kind of wondering why there isn't more being made of this. Uh, New York City teachers who declined to get the COVID-19 vaccine, had their personnel files flagged, and their FBI, uh, excuse me, their fingerprints sent to the FBI. So teachers that didn't get the jab got a flag on their file, and their fingerprints were sent to the FBI with a problem code. Department of Education Policy in the city of New York. The mayor there ended the vaccine mandate for New York City workers last Friday. But now the uh, Legal Defense Group Alliance Defending Freedom says that uh, teachers uh, are finding out they have a problem code in their files for misconduct and the fingerprints were sent to the FBI. Now, I'll admit I don't know a lot about how you go about sending fingerprints to the FBI. Does the FBI just take any fingerprints that are sent? Do you have to work that out with them first? Is that like an agreement they had? Um, we know that a lot of people across a lot of different professions were um, retaliated against or had consequences for not taking the vaccine. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe Maybe you were 
uh, denied something, maybe you paid a price in some way, work-wise, otherwise, because you didn't get the vaccine. And, and there was a very hot debate about that. I mean, there were people that thought that was outrageous, and I'm one of them. And there were people who I think truly, genuinely thought that uh, people not getting the vaccine were somehow doing something very uh, dangerous. Now that we know what we know about the vaccine, isn't it time to revisit the latter viewpoint? In other words, if you were one of those people who were just just appalled at those that did not get vaccinated because of how dangerous and how spready they might be, and now we know that getting the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting or giving the virus, and all the people in the positions of authority are kind of grudgingly admitting that, well, we we probably can let go of that debate. That's really not a debate anymore. But I look at this, and I, this to me is not even a vaccine story. This is a what the hell is the FBI turned into story. It's like the FBI is Real Housewives of New Jersey or something. I mean, it's like it's a it's a place where grievances and gossip and. I don't like him, and I don't like her, and grudges are held. I mean, do they do they do this now? Is that now what the FBI does? Like, if you just got crosswise with somebody, you can just open up a file at the FBI with them? I mean, I remember when people used to impotently threaten you with, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call the, the DA on you, or I'll call the police on you. But you knew they were full of it because you knew that law enforcement had no interest in petty differences or disputes between neighbors or whatever, right? It sounds like now maybe they do. Um, These people didn't commit a crime. It's one thing if their employer wants to uh, punish them. I mean, you, you, you have to know what you're, you know, you have to, you have to accept the consequences of what you're doing. You, you don't have to like them, but if that's the stated policy, okay. Where are the liberals that were just a few years ago that were so afraid of the federal government under Trump, um, you know, basically squashing dissent? Remember, everybody was a fascist. If you voted for him, you were a fascist, and he was a fascist, and you supported fascism. And they still throw that word around a lot, but see, this is actual fascism. And um, we'll see what happens. The Alliance Defending Freedom is um, reporting this as part of the findings in a lawsuit. They're, they're suing on behalf of uh, teachers uh, in New York City. So we'll see what happens. We're probably going to learn more about this. Um, there was a... Uh, <laughs> there there, there, been a, there been a lot of stories today, obviously, about Valentine's Day and different things. And I just got this thing in my email a few minutes ago. They're, they're, they pitch story ideas to media people you know you should do a story on this and here's somebody you can interview and i get this email that came in about five minutes ago so you know it's five o'clock central time it's after six on the east coast um interview dr gene so-and-so about um last minute valentine's gifts i'm like last minute val it's it's valentine's day night 
I don't. I think that I think the window is closed for that. Have you ever forgotten Valentine's Day? I mean, people forget anniversaries. Seems like you would. It seems like it would be harder to forget an anniversary than to forget Valentine's Day. I mean, Valentine's Day. No, I'm sorry. I meant to say it would be easier to forget an anniversary because you know your anniversary, but the world doesn't know it. But Valentine's Day, you know, every store you walk into, a lot of the ads you see on television, pop-up ads. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stumped. I'm not, I'm not picking on you, but I'm kind of stumped on how people would forget it's Valentine's Day. And I guess at this point, if you, if you have forgotten, maybe your best play is to turn that into a, well, you meant to do that thing. You know, like I, I'm rejecting the commercialism of Valentine's Day. I, every day with you is Valentine's Day. Are any of these working? No? Okay. Well, I don't know what to do for you then. I hope you didn't forget. They said, um, there was a story on one of the channels this morning that, uh, the price of everything has gone up. I don't know why they even made the, made the point. I mean, the price of everything has gone up. So yes, I'm sure just this thir- you know, Thanksgiving prices went up, Christmas prices went up, Valentine's prices went up. I'm sure Easter will cost more, you know, it's just where we're at right now. Uh, 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. I mentioned Vince Dow is coming up. He had done a, uh, he had been on a panel with some other, Young people, he's 19, the first-generation American. And he'd been on this panel that Vice Media did. They're a kind of a lefty news opinion site. And what stood out for me was just, you know, he, he's, the only, he's the only conservative in the room. He's surrounded by people that are just horrified and, and just squealing at him. And he's just very cool, very in command of his arguments, um, and so we're going to meet him, but we're also going to talk about the fact that um, we all have a tendency. I do it. I'm guilty of it. I've been called out for it. We all have a tendency to speak of generations by certain members of that generation. It's painting with a broad brush. It's generalizing. Call it whatever you want. When I watched him on this panel, I thought to myself, okay, well, he's, he's got his act together. He wants to do this media thing. He's got his, he's very active on social media. He's got a lot of followers, but there's probably a lot of young people around his age that we just don't hear about. And they're not maybe, they don't have a proclivity for, you know, posting it or, or doing high-profile events, but I, I really have to think that what's happening with young people in this country right now, and again, I, the media are guilty, and I'm part of that, we have let a very small number of very loud, obnoxious representatives brand or stand in for the entire, that entire generation. And I just don't think we've we've got a handle on it. That's why I want you to hear him. 
I want you to hear a different kind of 19-year-old perspective on things. He's going to be with us in our next half hour here on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff in the news today. We haven't even gotten to it yet. Um, it's official now that um, Nikki Haley, who was Trump's U.N. ambassador and is the former governor of South Carolina, she's announced she's running for president. Uh, we'll talk about that. It looks like uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina is also uh, going to run. Um, he hasn't officially said so, but he's doing a lot of things that uh, would indicate he is about to get into uh, the race. Is there? Is this a good thing? If there's a lot of people running in the Republican race in 2024, are you kind of amped up about that, or is that a problem? Are you wishing these people would stay out? Are you saying, hey, the water's great, come on in? Joining the show now, I'm very excited about this, really uh, been looking forward to having him on, uh, is a young man named Vince Dow who came to my attention and a lot of other people's when he was part of a uh, panel discussion uh, put on by Vice uh, Media. Uh, and Vince Dow, welcome uh, welcome to the show. It's, it's, it is really great to, to talk to you. And for folks that maybe don't know uh, what I'm referring to or haven't seen it yet, what was that panel? How did that come to pass that you were in that group discussion that you were doing with Vice? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Vice called me to do this like Asian American political debate panel thing. And uh, it went fairly viral because I came into the room as the conservative guy. You know, I wore a suit. I was collected, I guess you could say. But they basically stuck me in like this shark's nest of crazy liberals who were all incredibly loud and emotional and over the top. And it just made for a a very interesting dynamic. And I was very outnumbered on the thing, but, you know, they just kept ganging up and they failed every single time. And it was uh, it was a sight to behold, to say the least. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I know it was. And you were you were uh, cool under fire. And how much I mean, were you prepared in terms of the form? Did you know what you were getting into or or not? Uh, Not really. I I don't know what they told the liberal panelists, but. They, I just knew it was about, like, Asian issues, so I kind of just assumed it was going to come up, you know, they were going to bring up the Asian hate crime thing, and so I looked up the statistics of, like, you know, who's, like, really doing the hate crimes, and I looked up, uh, that was about it, actually, and I just expected, like, affirmative action and whatnot to come up, assimilation and stuff came up, but, no, I mean, I basically did that off the cuff. And um, I, I've been looking at your socials. Uh, it's uh, the Vince Dow on Instagram and Vince Dow Media on Twitter. Folks want to follow uh, follow you. Um, t- tell us a little bit about who you are. Like, what is your background? You're 19, right? Mm-hmm. So how did they find you, and, and, and why did they choose you? Yeah, so funny story about that. Originally, they were going to put me on. So I'm not sure how they found me. I assume just social media or whatever, right? Like come across people. I'm not sure, right? But um, I think originally they were going to put me on a masculinity panel, um, and that's what they brought me on about to ask me, oh, as a conservative, what do you think masculinity means? But then it was really funny because last minute they totally switched and were like, actually, you know, not their words, but you're Asian, let's put you on the Asian panel. I was like, mm. okay, I guess that works. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, I assume that's how they found me in social media. And I would just say on that front, the support we've gotten from the movement, our movement, the conservative movement on social media since then has been um, phenomenal. 
stuff. Well, and I'll tell you what I think it is, because this is what worked for me. Uh, it gave me hope to hear somebody as well thought out and composed as you are at 19, because I don't have to tell you that your age group is taking a beating in the court of public opinion, right? I mean, yeah. the, the people that get the most attention in your age group are the most ridiculous, emotional, fact-free people. And I don't think they're a majority of people your age. Maybe you can speak to that. I don't think they are. I, I, I would like to think there may be a lot more men and women like you. I will say, to be totally realistic with you, I think people who think much like me are a pretty big minority in our in our generation but what i do think there's a lot of in our in our generation as is with most young people is people who just aren't super involved don't have really a mind one way to the other and people who are just generally center of the road generally moderate on most issues um and i but i do think that the crazies that you saw on that panel are a yes small minority within our generation the issue is that I think the rest of our generation is kind of scared of that crazy woke mob in a way, you know, because well, who wouldn't be? I mean, you don't, you don't, these are not people you want to get, you know, crosswise with in a parking lot. I mean, uh, let me, let me play. <laughs> I want to play a little bit of your, uh, comment about assimilation, which was brilliant. And then we'll come back. Take a listen to Vince Dow on the vice panel when they ask about assimilation. Assimilation. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it a burden? Is it an opportunity? Necessary to an extent. We are forced to in order to navigate this country. Learning how to like properly behave, for example. Making sure that you are um, in line. kosher in this society. And I think that means survival. I think assimilation is not just a great thing, it's a necessary thing. Huh. No society can hold together where people have nothing in common. They don't speak the same language. They don't practice the same things. Differences in race, culture, religion, all these things. People have fought wars, violent wars, killed each other over these things for thousands of years if america is to hold together assimilation not just good or bad necessary i don't think it's going to be possible for america to survive as a stable functioning society if people don't to some degree say well here's what we're going to commonly agree upon you know with assimilation vince it, it, it is up to us to ask for it if we tell people that come to this country we'll give you ballots in your own language uh, we'll teach you in your own language. I don't blame them for sticking to those things. But when our ancestors came to this country, they knew the, the key to success, the key to the American dream was not to forget who they were, not to, not to forget where they came from. They never did. But to, but to recognize, as you said, there have to be common bonds. This is the only way our country works. Our country's an idea. We all have to have some buy-in to that idea. Right. I mean, I, I think that, you, you know, and this should be pointed out, too. Um, like I said on the panel, differences in things like ethnicity, religion, language, etc. These, as much as we want to say diversity is our strength, quote unquote, these are not historically or even today unifying factors of society. Right. There's a racial divide for a reason. There are ethnic divides for a reason. And. Obviously, it's something America has always struggled with, but, you know, my basic point was like, well, if we're going to not become Bosnia, if we're going to, you know, stay together as a society, what is exactly so radical or crazy about saying, well, we got to figure out some way to say, okay, well, this is what we share in common, this is who we are, et cetera. And it's crazy how that basic of a take 
got just so crucified and attacked on that panel. You know, because there's a lot more I could say to that. There are, I think, I think there are changes that need to be made to the immigration system, right? There are a lot of things that need to be done. But all I essentially said, I didn't even really propose anything. All I said was like, well, shouldn't we all like agree on something, right? Because you don't form any type of covenant with anyone, whether that's marriage, friendship, whatever, based on like having nothing in common. You, you, you become friends over, oh, here's what, you know, we bond over. Your spouse mm-hmm. is usually someone who I hope you, are, you have something in common with. And me just bringing that up, well, if we're going to share a country together, society, mm-hmm. we have to agree what we have in common. It's yeah. insane to me that that was such a, a controversial take, right? I, I also noticed, and this is kind of a tactic you, you see a lot on the left, you would, you would make a point and there was no... I mean, there was no denying you were right. So they would shift, they would move the goalpost to something else. I want to play another clip real quick. Uh, Don, play cut number one real quick. There are massive disparities based on race, based on class, based on gender, based on all of these things that shouldn't exist. Well, nobody denies that there's disparities or that. that. Well, let's have Vince respond. Or do they exist because of supposed white supremacy? And when I look at the fact that virtually every corporation institution bends the knee to diversity, celebrates every single Heritage Month, has all these programs, every single one toe the line for Black Lives Matter. I don't look at that and say conservative white people are in power in this country. As a matter of fact, I'd argue to a large extent, you can talk about what race or whatever people are, but is like a supposedly conservative white interest in power in America. I would honestly say I think it's the opposite of well, that. I, I, I noticed that there was a lot of emotion and huffing and puffing, and it, it seems as if maybe the art of debate is not being taught anymore. Like, they they got very upset with you rather than just sort of waiting till you finished and then refuting you. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what's crazy is the, the one guy you were hearing me uh, debate with, I believe, in that clip, he is a Yale graduate. Okay, so he, he's, he's graduated from Yale, so he went through the Ivy League institutions. Uh, Dad was a former CEO of Citibank. And it's like, it, what's her private school growing up and all that? And in our country's highest academic institutions, the reason I bring that up is not to attack him for that, but it's to bring up, like, how do you go through that high of education and, and, and come from this much wealth and privilege and all this, and never once were you ever taught, like, well, here's how to do proper debate. Here's the rules of logic and debate and argument, all this stuff. And I think, honestly, you look at him, it was probably the opposite, because I know he's done, like, this liberal teenage activism stuff all his life. It was actually more so that, like, he got rewarded for being that all his life, right? In the same mm-hmm. way Greta Thunberg, David Hogg, all right. these like youth Gen Z figures. That's similar to kind of who he was growing up, how he got into Yale, Stanford, all that stuff. So um, that, that seems to be what society rewards, at least among Well, you know, when I, was, when I was young, I thought I knew everything, but society didn't tell me I was right. <laughs> you know, they, right, exactly. they told me, wait till, you, wait till you find out. Now I think you're, you're looking at a lot of young people on that panel who have never, ever had any pushback and who have been told we should the whole world should be listening to you i mean greta's a great example we should literally make global environmental policy based on greta right yep where did you where did you get your background and your um sort of i i guess you know sort of your fluency in these not only ideas, but the the talent for defending them and expressing them. How did you tell me a little bit about how you grew up and 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 where you you got all that? 
Well, I think that's part of what differentiates me and those kids is I actually had to, like, learn those things and figure those things out for myself. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I went to public school in Los Angeles, and, like, you know, I went to, like, a magnet middle school and stuff. And so I grew up in a very, very left-wing environment, the people around me, school and all that. And, you know, I guess I had the agency at least to start asking questions about it. And I wouldn't say I was conservative all my teenage years, but, like, you know, as I got to high school and stuff and asked enough questions and, and learned enough and, and, you know, thought things through, that's what brought me sort of to the beliefs I have now, right? But I had to actually, like, think and take risks and, and get pushback to reach my conclusions, whereas they, you can clearly tell, that's never been the case. And so I think that's the difference between us, right? You know, for all the talk about diversity that we get from the left, there is an open, overt war on Asian American um, achievement, meritocracy, whether you look at Thomas Jefferson High School in Virginia, the lawsuit against the uh, the Ivy League colleges. Uh, why is it why do they make an exception for Asian Americans? Because I think the left, needs to exist in a perpetual state of revolution, right? This is kind of what Mao, the reason Mao started a cultural revolution after he already had power. Um, and the issue with kind of the way Asians exist in society, being on average socioeconomically successful and not being convenient to the, you know, white supremacy, white privilege narrative, yeah. um, is, is that that threatens them being able to say, look, we live in this rigged white supremacist system, um, white adjacency, this and that, blah, blah, blah. This is why everything needs to be fundamentally overthrown and fundamentally upheaved. And a the existence of Asians and, and, you know, doing well in school and all that stuff basically says, well, maybe that's not the case. And maybe there is a path to success. And that threatens, like I said, I think the perpetual revolution. And yeah. that's why, you know, we're kind of in the situation. So rather than say maybe we were wrong, we're just gonna we're just gonna blow these people up because they are inconvenient to the thesis we've already agreed to. Absolutely, yeah. Now I saw a picture. If I can ask a personal question, I saw a picture. I think it was on your Instagram page. It looks like you were being baptized. Um, is your faith uh, sort of part of your worldview, and how did you come by that, and what what role does that play? Um, yeah, I would say my I, I do my best to make my faith shape everything about my worldview. But I would say I probably came to faith through the worldview, like through politics. You know, I, when I started doing the conservative stuff, um, you know, I was around a lot of Christians. And, and so that was kind of my exposure to the gospel. I assume God put those people in my life. And that was kind of the, the journey there. Um, but yeah, I mean, ever ever since, you know, I came to the faith, ever since I got baptized, I always do my best to try to make it formulate the basis of mm. everything I believe, for sure. Faith is humbling. I mean, it it at a time in your life, I'm, t- I'm thinking to myself when I was your age, and you, you feel, you know, you feel like you're going to live forever, you feel like you know everything. I don't, I don't mean you, but I mean a lot of us at that age. And faith is a very humbling, sort of governing, controlling uh, influence on what is otherwise kind of a all about me phase of your life, right? Absolutely, but I would I would also say I think it's a strengthening influence too in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of Christians who sort of even like forget this aspect of it is that mm-hmm. faith is also what gives me the courage to you know go into a lion's nest situation like that yeah. and not 
really have fear, right? And and what gives me the strength and the courage to just, you know, take on everything, right, that, that we as right-wingers face in this country, so, and Christians obviously face in this country, so. Well, you did great. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing a lot more from you. Um, if folks want to follow you on Twitter, it's Vince Dow Media. On Instagram, it's the Vince Dow, D-A-O. And I hope you'll come back with us, and uh, and good luck in everything Absolutely. else, Vince. Thank you. Thanks for Absolutely. coming on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll talk to you again. I, I, I'll tell you what. It's I didn't have him on just because I agree with him. I mean, there's a lot of people out there whose ideas I think are, are, are solid. I, I read columnists and commentators and I follow a lot of stuff to get ready for the show. You, you will notice we very seldom put guests on and very, very seldom put guests on just for their opinions. It's usually analysis, expertise. But what I, what I really, what really struck me about him was he went into a place where no one agreed with him where they were all very emotional and angry and threatened by him and he stayed cool his voice does when you if you watch the whole vice panel and i urge you to his voice doesn't rise and fall he doesn't get they're very calm very he know he knows in the end he's right he knows they can't hold a candle to him it was it was something to see 19 years old and so that doesn't come from, you can't say he's had a lot of experience. That comes from just preparation, mindset, discipline, which means it's possible for anybody. Uh, at the end of this hour, we'll have the results on today's JR poll question, which you can vote on when you call in, or you can find it at KTSA.com. Uh, you can also find at KTSA.com the Jack Riccardi Just a Minute video, and uh, there's a, a column on there, a new column on there today. There's a new book blog. If you follow my book blog, Jack's Books, uh, I updated that a day or two ago. Um, and for the radio show that we're doing right now, you can jump in. Here at 210-599-5555. We, we talked a little bit at the beginning of the show about the juxtaposing of the balloon story, which I'm really over at this point. I, I, look, if they're going to pretend they don't know what they are, but they shot them down, that's just weird. Okay. That is very strange. You, you shoot at what you know you are shooting at. So either they're lying about not knowing what it is or they're, pursuing an incredibly reckless policy, and I think it's door number one. But then I also look at the way in which this administration has, until today, when they have been dragged into addressing this toxic train disaster in Ohio, they've really avoided it. And if you think about it, you would think that anything having to do with the environment, anything having to do with a swing state they'd be all over it so it is very interesting that neither the biden administration nor their media minions seem to want to um engage on what's going on there um and by the way i think there's going to be republican and democratic fingerprints all over this because ohio has a republican governor mike dewine and this does not from everything I've read, this does not look like it was handled well. It, it it may have been a disaster no matter what they had done, but the decision to burn it off and blow it up 
and blow this stuff into the environment and into the atmosphere does not look like a good decision from a health or science uh, viewpoint. But it's fascinating to me, no Al Gore, no Greta, no World Wildlife Federation, no Save the Whales people. There's dead fish all, in all the rivers. There's, you know, it, it, it is, in fact, the case, if you think about it, that a lot of the things that big government activists claim to be rescuing us from turn out to be things that big government activists did to us. I mean... If you, if you really kind of step back and take a 30,000 foot view of the last, say, 50 years, big government environmentalism has itself been an environmental uh, catastrophe. And it's, it's all part of that, you know, we know better, we're the smartest kids in the room, uh, mentality. And this kind of ties in with what we were talking about with, with Vince Dow. If you can't learn from experience, you're probably a leftist. If you're never wrong, if you never make a mistake, if you never have to revisit a previously held view or viewpoint, you're probably a leftist. And... They're insufferable in person, but they're dangerous in power. And if you think about the balloon story, both parties all your life have told you they're going to do something about China. And the only thing they've done about China is talk about doing something about China. We're going to stop China. We're going to get our jobs back from China. We're going to end the uh, theft of copyrighted and uh, intellectual property. They all grouse about outsourcing. They all claim they're going to bring the factories back. And, of course, a big part of doing that would be to stop making the business environment in this country so government hostile. And then we had the pandemic, right? And that was supposed to be the, the come-to-Jesus moment when, oh my gosh, we can't have these supply chains stretching all the way back to China. Look look, look at the vulnerability. And, and Biden said it as a candidate, and Trump said it. Everybody talks tough about China, but then they move on. Other things pop up. Other things enter the news cycle. China will be there. We'll get back to it. Now, pretty much everything in our lives right now has in some way been touched by COVID, and not really by COVID, but by the reaction, and in some cases, overreaction to COVID. China caused COVID. I don't know if they did it by accident or on purpose, a gain of function or what have you. But that is unavoidable. And our elected officials cannot and will not stand up to that. And that gives them cover. See, I think before COVID, they were kind of hung up on the whole, we don't want to look like we're xenophobes or racist. But now you have cover. This is an outrage. And they don't even try. Trump said he would stop it, and he didn't stop it. Biden isn't stopping it. Republicans aren't stopping it. Democrats, forget about it. And they're patting themselves on the back 
for popping a balloon that they allowed to fly over the entire interior of the country. And now they're saying we don't really know what these other things are, which, frankly, if you really don't know, you probably shouldn't admit you don't know out loud. That's probably a bad look. But what's even worse is they probably do know. And I can't help shake the feeling that the balloon story lived in the news cycle, lived in the headlines longer than it might otherwise have because it is a distraction from the Nord Stream story, the the Ohio story, the Hunter story. I mean, remember, before the balloons, the headlines were about the walls are closing in on Hunter. And the congressional investigations are closing in on on the Biden family business. And the balloons came along at the at such a perfect moment that if the Chinese didn't send them, you, you'd almost wonder if the DNC sent them. I'm not saying they did, of course. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. But 210-599-5555. Now, it's, it's hard because a, a big part of talk radio is is politics and elections and sort of the, you know, we have this ongoing idea that we're one election away from fixing things or turning things around, if we can just get the right people, if we can get the right president, if we can get uh, more of this party or a bigger majority for that party. But, you know, I, I've been doing this so long, it's, it's harder and harder for me to play that game. And unlike a lot of people in, in this business, I, I'm not actually a Republican. I'm not either one. But um, not only do I not have a party, affiliation i'm starting to struggle with even having a political focus because these people have failed you they're either terrible at what they do or they're serving other masters not you not me and so now we're in the season politically right where there's you know talk of this one or that one going to run for president and I, i you know how exciting is that, really? Is it going to be more of the same? Do you have the feeling that you know exactly what all of these people are going to say? You know exactly the playbook? So we'll talk a little bit about that. I promise I won't be totally negative for your Valentine's night. Later in the hour, results on the JR poll. Today is also National Organ Donor Day. That's why we asked that question uh, on the poll. I don't know what you think about Congressman Dan Crenshaw, but he um, he's probably been one of the most forthcoming members of Congress on this UFO issue. Um, so he was in the classified briefing, and, 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 you know, he's a Houston area congressman. He's a former Navy SEAL. Um, and the way he breaks it down, I was watching, I, I follow him on Twitter, and I was, I was reading some of his posts. So he's saying um, the first thing that went all the way across the country was a Chinese surveillance tool. They knew it. He says they were told that immediate steps were taken to stop its data from being uh, transmitted. Remember, they said that it had antennas and that it could receive and transmit data. So it sounds like that members of Congress were told the thing was either jammed or blocked or in somehow somehow was was stripped of that ability. He says they knew exactly what that was and they acted immediately. As for the other unexplained objects, the other three, 
Um, he says the first two were smaller, the size of an ATV, and harder to detect. The third resembled a balloon and was easier for the radar to pick up. All of them moved with wind currents. He says the members were told that there more things are being observed because um, there's more, you know, scrutiny, uh, better technology. Uh, he says years ago we didn't have uh, radar adjusted for slow-moving objects. He says there's still a lot we don't know. I'm going to continue pushing for transparency. This is uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw. One question I have, I have a lot of questions, but one question I have is, would would the Biden administration be talking about this if we had not seen them? I mean, Americans saw this stuff and started asking about it. And if the knowledge had stayed on the official side of things, if we the people had not seen these things, what would the course of action have been from the most transparent administration in history? And by the way, just to be fair to Joe Biden, because I know you don't think I ever am, we have a long history in this country of the government lying to us or keeping things from us or not sharing what they think we can't handle. I mean, you can go back to World War II, you can go back to Roswell. It's pretty clear that you don't I mean you don't have to believe every conspiracy theory and watch History Channel 24 hours a day, but but I mean it's pretty clear that their mindset of the American people in Washington is that we're kind of infantile and easily upset and you wouldn't want to give us something that would just make our minds blow. So I I, w- I really do wonder how we would have been informed or if we would have been informed had they not had to answer questions from the public. And then why did they let the balloon traverse the entire country? And um, I just don't buy the we were afraid to shoot it down over land argument. I don't believe that there was a national security benefit to letting it fly. That's what they seem to be telling members of Congress. Well, the whole time it was flying, we were studying it and disabling it. And, you know, we were, it's like we were, we were getting exactly what we wanted. That sounds like what you would say to cover a, a, a really unpopular or indefensible uh, decision. And remember, early in the balloon story, we were told that, oh, well, there were balloons under Trump, you know. Well, if every member of Trump's national security team is denying that they ever received that info or a briefing to that effect, either they are all liars, every one of them is uniformly a liar, or the military kept husbanded, if you will, information from the Trump administration, which I, I, I could I could imagine they did. Because they've done a lot of talking about how he was so out of control and unpredictable and erratic and unorthodox that we, the, I mean, Milley has talked a lot. General Milley has talked a lot about how he took matters into his own hands. Remember, remember General Milley telling the story about how he was conversing with his counterpart in Beijing and they were talking about would there be a war and he was assuring 
uh, his counterpart in Beijing, I don't know the general's name, of course there won't. I would tell you if there was going to be a war. You know, I mean, the, this isn't this isn't Dwight Eisenhower we're talking about. This is Mark Milley. So I also wonder if Milley had that kind of back-channel conversation with his Chinese counterparts about the, the balloon. And is that appropriate or even secure uh, as, a, as a course of action? Because, look, think what you want about Biden, think what you want about Trump. But our system only works if there's a commander-in-chief, not a bunch of chiefs, or everyone's a chief. That's how banana republics work. You have to grease a lot of palms because you don't really know who has the button or who makes the decision. Our, our system is really clear that, like him or not, the president we elect is the commander-in-chief of civilian control over our military and over our foreign policy. This is not a gray area. It's incredibly dangerous if people within the government decide, well, this president doesn't need to know, or that president shouldn't be the one making a decision. Just pointing that out. We had a president 60 years ago who was intellectual, who was um, a thinker, who was very dialed in to all of what was going on, who increasingly became aware. His predecessor warned him, and it, and he didn't totally believe him at first, but his predecessor warned him there is a, a government within the government, there is a complex of people in the military and in, in the defense industries and in the intelligence community that are starting to think they are the real government or they are the real executive, And that president gradually saw, dramatically saw, what his predecessor had warned about, became increasingly frustrated, had, according to numerous people who were in the room, very heated, very angry confrontations with senior military people, with the CIA, and then 30, excuse me, 60 years ago this year, 60 years ago this coming November, that president had his brains blown out in front of the world. I'm not saying they did it. I'm just saying that's a hell of a coincidence. And we've not had a president since JFK. We've not had a president since JFK who was as... uh laser-focused and irate about that complex, about that self-appointed cabal. In fact, I, I suspect some of his successors, I'm pretty sure about this, minded their P's and Q's and were careful. And it wasn't that long ago that Chuck Schumer even made a joke about it, about how you, you know, you knew it was good for you, you didn't cross up the intelligence community. So, this balloon thing kind of reminds me of all that. I'm in a quicksand and I'm starting to sing. 
it is time again for Trey Ware's annual end to drive hung or drive to end hunger. I don't think you want to drive hunger. You want to drive to end hunger. Uh, go to KTSA.com. You can do it right now and make a cash donation. Um, food banks biggest need is actually cash. And with their buying power, your dollars go further than y- your dollars do when you spend them on groceries yourself. Like one dollar can feed seven people with the food bank. So, uh, help out with Trayware's fifth annual drive to end hunger presented by Stevens Roofing and in part by Airtron Heating and Air, Roof Fix and the Institute for Functional Health. Um, we were talking about distractions. The idea that it seems like there's a set of things going on that are distracting us from other things going on. And somebody sent me an interesting email and said, well, it almost seems like we're doing that with politicians too. And like, it, it almost seems like obsessing over Ron DeSantis and Florida is a distraction from the decline and failure of states like California and Illinois. I think that's a great point. Um, and I think that's true. Now, you can make yourself crazy if you overthink. You don't want to start making wall charts and red yarn connecting points. And I don't, I don't want you to do that, putting tinfoil over the windows. I, I, just, I, I would just say this. Be an avid consumer of news. Stay up with things like you do anyway. But every once in a while, take a breather, take a step back, turn off your phone, and think to yourself, were these cards dealt randomly to me, or was this deck stacked? Are the things that are juxtaposed in the news just the things that are, you know, this is the world as it is today, February 14th, 2023, or are are there things that are meant to offset, obscure distract from other things. And if you do follow politics, there's a few headlines of interest today. Diane Feinstein, the oldest uh, Democratic uh, senator, uh, has announced she is not running for re-election next year. Uh, she was elected to the Senate in 1992. I think she's 89. I will say this about Diane Feinstein. If you go back to when she was, you know, um, sort of entering the political, the national political discussion in the 80s and early 90s, she is a throwback. I mean, you, you may, you may have been a Republican your whole life. You may have been a conservative your whole life, but you have to admit 30, 35 years ago, there were people in the Democratic Party that were strong and there were and were right about things like immigration, intel, the military. Diane Feinstein was one of them. So, yes, she stayed too long. The lady is very confused. I hope she's I hope she can have a healthy uh retirement. But there's not many of these people left. The, you know, the old expression, it's not your father's, I forget who has been saying it a lot late, lately, but somebody's been saying, this is not your father's Democratic Party. Well, these are the people that were in your father's Democratic Party. Uh, Senator Tim Scott, Republican from South Carolina, 
Uh, Wall Street Journal did a story on him today. It looks like he is taking the steps to run for president. He would be the second South Carolinian to get into this race because this week Nikki Haley, the former governor down there, uh, declared. I think I'm a little more excited about Tim Scott than I am about Nikki Haley. I don't, I don't have anything against her, but I, I'm, I'm not really seeing what the, what, what it is that she offers. And, and I have to say, I, I liked her as a governor. I thought it was brilliant of Trump to send her to the UN. But I, I, I do sense that there is a little bit of the Jeb Bush, uh, cult of personality thing with her. Like I'm hearing a little too much about, um, her persona and her story and her, Maybe it's just me, but I, I'm, I'm not interested in electing an interesting biography. You know, I, I don't, I don't doubt that there's a lot of people that have had very interesting lives and have overcome things or have been the first in their family to go to this level or do this thing. That doesn't mean they should be president. And we've gotten into this very kind of, Hey, here's somebody with a great biography that really does not convey as far as i'm concerned to what we're looking for in a president i i I think there's some of that with tim scott too but i've actually heard tim scott say things that sound like a leader that sound like somebody with a firm handle and vision you know who else is talking about running for president and we've talked about him before i don't think we've ever actually uh, had him on the show but vivek ramaswamy the author and a uh, businessman uh, who's got a book out called Woke Incorporated. Um, and he is on Fox a lot, and he pops up on some of the conservative uh, websites like Hot Air and stuff. He says he is very seriously considering running for president. He's got a team of people, um, you know, that he's already working uh, with uh, to put together a grassroots operation. Uh, he's got a, uh, a couple of Republican heavyweights that could be campaign managers. His, um, platform, he says, is, uh, battling China economically, firing managerial government employees, shutting down many federal agencies, reforming the national security state, fighting affirmative action. He says, I'm interested in the question of the what and the why. He says, what does it mean to be an American? We've forgotten. And he says, not that people have forgotten, but we leaders have forgotten. I think it's a good point. How many times have you heard a politician over the years talk about the the world stage and America's role in the world and so forth and so on? It's okay to it's okay to talk about that stuff as long as you're very clear about what it means to be an American, what America means to its own people, and and great leaders who have led on the world stage, okay, whether you're talking about Reagan or Kennedy or Roosevelt, they already had locked down first. What is what is our country about? What is this thing called America about? And I think a lot of the aspiring leaders and would-be leaders today, they skipped that step. 
they went right to the what will the world think of us? How do we look in the world? The world is laughing at us. President Biden likes to make references to world leaders ask him about Trump and they ask him about January 6th and they ask he's he's always having to explain I, I don't really believe that but B that that's those are not the most important questions you can put the president of France on hold with that what does it mean to be an american Ramaswamy says we have a national identity crisis because the things that used to define our national identity are disappearing. Sort of what Vince Dow was talking a little bit about. Wouldn't it be interesting, and I, I realize this is a long shot, wouldn't it be interesting if the people that lead us back to the national identity conversation are the newest Americans? Ramaswamy is either a first or second generation guy. Vince Dow is a first generation guy. What if they're the ones that have clarity on it? You know? Maybe they are. If I had a nickel for every time a first or second generation immigrant has either called to the show or written to me and, and really just cut right to the quick, on issues like immigration, but a lot of other things too. Maybe, maybe when you choose America, you get America. <laughs> and maybe when you're born here, it's not as automatic or as easy to do. It's just a thought. It's kind of like, you know, the difference between being born into money and making the money. I mean, we, we, we know there's a big difference, right? Maybe it's like that. Since today is National Organ Donor Day, are you an organ donor? 60% said no, 40% said yes. And um, I have a good friend who uh, a year or two ago gave his sister a kidney. And um, I won't go into all the details. I certainly don't want to, I, I, he's a private person. I don't want to out the story, but um, it's incredible what an effect that has had. Obviously, it saved her life, but it, it has had such an effect on their relationship, their family, her family. I mean, it's just, there's there's so much to this that if you're not one, I, I hope, I mean, I respect your decision, but, but think about it, or if you have thought about it, fine, but if you haven't, think about it. Uh, it's pretty incredible. Um. We talked about the Super Bowl earlier. Uh, Patrick Mahomes says that Andy Reid, the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, threatened every player on the team with sitting on the bench the entire second half of the game if they left the locker room to watch Rihanna. <laughs> I just, I know there was a thing where uh, in recent years where players have been caught going out on the field. I, nothing against Rihanna. It was a good show, but I mean, it, you're you're in the Super Bowl. Like I can't imagine you would you would think. Well, let me go catch this concert. You know, I mean, I realized back in the day, guys ate you know hot dogs on the sidelines and smoked cigarettes and all that. But I think this whole sort of staying focused on the game thing is a good thing. I, Rihanna can wait. Rihanna will be there. 
Before we know it, it'll be Major League Baseball season. Uh, and this is going to be a change in the upcoming season. Major League Baseball has new bases that are about three and a half inches uh, wider and longer than the old bases. They've changed the size of the base. Uh, this is the first time they've done it. And uh, I was looking at pictures comparing the old bases to the new ones. They look like pizza boxes. They're very big. I'm wondering if this is kind of a um, kind of a participation trophy thing, like really bigger bases. Are we then going to have like you know bigger strike zone? Maybe maybe the ball could be bigger and the bat could be bigger and I don't know. Maybe I'm taking it too far, but I don't know. It's something about changing the size of the base. I'm a traditionalist, and they just keep. It's like in the last five years, a game that's been played for 140 years. Oh, we've we now we know what to do. We need ghost runners and the designated hitter in both leagues and da 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 da. And I just I don't know. I'm not a fan of all this. I I think they could have left it alone. I, I was okay with the designated hitter in the American League. I think they should have left the National League alone. Everything they've done since then, I'm I'm not uh, too much of a too much of a fan of. Um, and one more thing before we uh, go tonight. A lot of people uh, knew this man personally. I did not know him, but you know his work. Um, want to say thoughts and prayers for the family of Jesse Trevino, a great artist who uh, lost his battle with cancer yesterday. He was 76. If you don't know the name, Jesse Trevino is the artist who created that huge, I think it's what, like eight-story mosaic mural on the side of Krista Santa Rosa Children's Hospital and many other well-known and beautiful uh, public works of art around San Antonio and around Texas. Uh, So our thoughts with Jesse Trevino and our gratitude for his work. See you back here tomorrow.